0: Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Not The Top 20 podcast, Monday Pod. Uh, It's me, Ali Maxwell, and with me, George Ellick. And as regular listeners to the pod, long-time listeners, or even one-time listeners will know, uh, we focus on all things EFL. Uh, Easier said than done at the moment with games having been suspended, with the leagues having been suspended. uh, It's a news story that I'm sure you'll all be across. Uh, First and foremost, George, how are you? How are you getting on? Because this is a unprecedented scenes uh, in terms of life, and career, and personal level to some extent as well.
1: How how are you? Uh, I'm okay. Considering, I mean, I think being a kind of recently freelancing football um, professional does that make sense? I don't I don't know what I do, um, but working in football as a freelancer, whilst also having my wedding planned for May the 9th and also my stag do in um under two weeks means that yeah most conversations seem to be revolving around coronavirus but crucially um you know i'm healthy at the moment and i'm sitting opposite you recording a podcast so i am fine and dandy as it stands can i be honest yes
0: i'm finding it quite tough at the moment it's uh as you say quite an uncertain time and i feel like both of us we've been so lucky with the uh, starts i suppose to our career that we've had in many ways and in what we've been able to do with this pod. Uh, And a lot of that is stemmed on a certainty, a confidence in ourselves, but also a confidence in what we have to talk about and a never-ending supply of of football, really, that we love. So uh, I'm finding it difficult at the moment just because of this uncertainty. I know I'm not the only one. Um, There are times where I'm feeling very positive and know that we will be fine, and that's crucial. Um, But there are also times where I'm feeling a bit down and just a little bit... Concern. So I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening who probably feel similarly. Um, talk about today's pod, because we we really wrestled with what to discuss today. We've got lots of ideas of, of more general EFL content that we can do, some lighthearted stuff, some serious analysis. Um, but actually today we thought something of a responsibility to provide a bit of an update on where we are, we being the EFL and those who sail within it.
1: Yeah, there is... There are plenty of things that coronavirus is affecting that are more important than football, and that is clear, but it is also going to be the biggest thing that's happened to this sport in a long time. It already is, given that the season, you know, two-thirds done has been postponed at the moment, could feasibly be cancelled. And given that the AFL, as ever, is the least reported on and the most vulnerable part of Uh, football itself and given that we cover those leagues it is crucial that we try and answer some of the questions that aren't really being answered
0: Um, At at the same time I don't don't think either of us at this stage at this early stage felt like we were necessarily the absolute experts on every facet of this so we've called in some favours you have recorded two interviews today, I've mm. recorded one interview, and that's what makes up the meat and, and drink of this pod. Uh, who have you spoken to?
1: So I spoke to Matt Slater, who's a writer for The Athletic. Uh, we spoke about his piece last week uh, on the Going Up, Going Down podcast. He is someone who, as you'll hear him say, specialises in bad news. So he's probably the one journalist who's uh, busier than usual with the football being cancelled. But he speaks very well on what he knows at the moment is the kind of update where we stand as of three o'clock on Monday, the 16th of March. Um, and what he expects to happen in the future um, and I've called on a favour from uh, Zaki Nuzabe who is the Vice Chairman of Oxford United um, who speaks to us I guess gives us a bit of an insight from someone who is involved in the day-to-day running of an EFL club what it means uh, in terms of the way that they are approaching uh, you know, everything now from budgeting from just trying to stay afloat uh, and yeah it's kind of I guess a bit of a disclaimer it's not an easy listen this podcast necessarily um, you know there's no point beating around the bush in terms of what this means for the game so it's not a barrel of laughs but that doesn't mean that in the future you know we are going to be talking about Iberia Eze and Matias Pereira very soon but just not today.
0: <laughs> this is an important listen uh, future podcasts will be Uh, more lighthearted but I think this was something we we felt was important Uh, we've spoken to Matt we've spoken to Zaki and also Phil Corklin as well rounds off our sort of it's not quite a round table is it because they're back to back to back but uh, our trio of experts who all bring a, a different perspective Phil Uh, is the co-founder of Momentum Sports Management. He represents as an agent many players across the EFL and therefore his perspective is more focused on their welfare both in terms of their employment in terms of their job and their contracts uh, and the industry in which they're working making sure that they are being kept up to date with things but also when it comes to their health and well-being both physical and And mental. So thank you so much to the three gents that we spoke to today. Hopefully you will enjoy listening back to the interviews. We start first with Matt Slater from The Athletic who has been investigating every minute detail and outcome of the current pandemic of coronavirus and how it will affect the EFL and its clubs both in the short term and in the future.
1: So Matt, thank you very much for joining us today, Uh, although it's probably... You know, we wish we we were talking to you in, in better circumstances. But you wrote a piece uh, last Friday, uh, which we discussed on the Going Up, Going Down podcast called British Football Suspended Amid Coronavirus Threat. So what happens next? And I, I guess the key thing here is to ask you, since you wrote that piece on Friday, and we'd recommend, again, any of our listeners to go and, and read that piece probably before listening to this podcast. But what what's changed since Friday? You know, given it's been a weekend and maybe a lack of news from what you're understanding? What's been the latest update?
2: Well, I mean, that's a good question. Um, and, and I think the honest answer is, is, is not a great deal has changed. I mean, I think beyond this dawning realisation, I don't know what you guys have been talking about this weekend, but, but it's certainly the, the only conversation that, that, that my family, my friends are having. I think this sense that this is big, mm. really big, Unprecedented, complicated. Um, it is throwing up fresh questions almost every day. There are all manner of implications and knock-on effects and un- possible unintended consequences to to decisions that we make, that uh, the government makes. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, football it, it is is part of life's rich tapestry. It is. It is a. It's. It's a. It's a it's an economy. It's a, it's a leisure activity. It, it's it's um, it is incredibly complicated. So to answer your question, I don't think a huge amount has changed. I think we're going to get a bit more certainty this week. Uh, I think the key things for for you know your listeners are big meeting on Tuesday that UEFA are chairing that's a big it's actually a video conference uh, the 55 member association so all all the FAs uh, in Europe are represented as are the European club Association which are you know the the umbrella group that represents the the wealthy clubs but but so is European leagues which is the representative body for the domestic leagues and the FL is uh, is, a, is a key voice in there actually it's one of the it's one of the bigger leagues in Europe as we know in terms of turnover clubs uh overall you know fan base uh it's 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 got a big voice in it, around that table uh, the players will represent it will be represented via FIFPro pro the global players union and i think even from that key meeting i don't think we're going to get all the answers i think we're going to get the continuation of a very, very wide conversation that's been going on in European football for at least 10 days, probably more like two weeks, when I think they have realised how big this is. And then the F.L. board has a meeting on Wednesday, and the Premier League have a shareholders meeting themselves on Thursday. So I think across those three days, we're going to get some got all the answers and no one's got enough data we are we are still grappling with the enormity of this with the potential issues and the ways out at the same time we are guessing on government policy on how well we're going to be the state of the economy what sort of mood we're going to be where we're going to be in may Uh, i think we can forget april 3rd that was just a temporary respite I think it's going to be more like May before we're ready to play. And then is that behind closed doors? Is that then, uh, Is that, you know, what's what's that going to do for EFL clubs towards the bottom of the pyramid? I mean, some of them even further up the pyramid. What does it do for contracts, TV contracts, sponsorship contracts, players' contracts? Do we carry on into June, into July? I think the one thing we can probably say for sure this week is the Euro 2020 will move. Mm. Does it move to the winter? Does it move to next summer? I don't know, but it will move, and that will at least give domestic football the opportunity to extend their seasons. But then that you've only then just opened up. Okay, good. Now we can now we can at least explore how that might might how that might work. So I'm sorry to give a long rambling answer, but that, that's where we're at.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you've just asked some of the rhetorical questions I was going to ask you, but but back ah, b- back to the sorry. first. No, 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 not at all. But also on the on the case of the. Of, you know what I did on the weekend as a as a freelancer in football who's getting married in May, I can assure you there was very oh. little else spoken about over the weekend except for the virus. But uh but just just in terms of I mean you mentioned that the April the third or April the fourth deadline is is basically um, you know, anyone who's who's pinning their hopes on football returning then is is likely to be disappointed, or is probably definitely gonna yeah. be disappointed. do you think next week, given the meetings you've spoken about, do you think we're gonna have more of an idea on the full impact this is going to have on the football calendar at the end of next week or do you think it's going to be a much longer process
2: it's going to be a much longer process I think we will learn more gradually as we move through this but people look I can give you some good news good. the good news I can give you is the football bodies the key bodies are all talking to each other they really are so that's the first thing the second thing is human beings are very resilient we, we, we will get over this we, we will go and watch and play football again. I think the third thing is, even in the midst of this crisis, I think there will come a realization that, that getting back to normal is important. The getting getting the economy moving, getting getting people moving and doing things normal things again, will become uh, a bigger issue as we proceed through this. So, so. And there are solutions. There are always solutions. Mm. It can seem. It can seem. You know. You can look at the tables, go and, and say, "Oh my word! Well, how are we going to sort out League Two? And it's so tight in League Two. And what are we going to do about the the, the you know the, the playoff picture in the Championship, where you know even QPR are in it. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, God, can we really tell Leeds they're not going up? <laughs> well, you know, but not not, not now. I'd anymore. rather
1: you than me that, on that last point. Well,
2: quite. Not we can't do that now. It wouldn't be fair. If we, it we and also it'd be daft. We've, because, we, we've we've seen
1: some people in football, um, a certain owner uh, involved yeah, at West Ham yeah. and some other people re- responding to that saying what their kind of preferred means of finalising the season would be. And, and it's you know, naturally given the amount of money involved, I think it's only fair to understand why there'll be bias from certain areas in terms of preferred means of finalising the season. But has there been any suggestion... Within you know governing bodies, within the people that actually matter of what the preferred means would be, or is it is it just too early to say because we don't know how the calendar is going to play out?
2: I think it's too early. I think I think if there is a if there isn't a agreed statement right now on football, if there's any consensus in football right now, and and, it, and actually it's one of the better uh, media statements I've seen in the last week. It actually, came from Rick Parry, the mm. NFL Chair. It's just it just arrived on Monday, and that's where he called for cool heads and calm reflection. You know, he noted the the totally understandable speculation that everywhere, weddings, pubs, parties, the papers, you name it, we're all trying to work out possible solutions based on how much time or when we can get back to playing again. you know if, if it's late April, May, you know can we use international uh, breaks can we scrap can we obviously euro goes, does that free up more of May, June, potentially July, uh, do we go to a sort of rapid playoff system to finish the European competitions to maybe sort of concertino our our domestic seasons? Look, these are all good, and people are talking about them and 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 working them through as we speak. Looking at their insurance policies, talking to talking to all their all their all their revenue streams. You know the broadcasters. You know if you don't get to show whatever it is. 15 20 25 percent of the season are you going to want 25 percent of your check back mm. okay right well if you are then we've got to have this conversation players most of you loan players are out of you know loans sort of tend to end around May contracts tend to end end of June what are we going to do do we go rolling week contracts if so do we have to pay a premium on that would a player agree to play for a, on a week's contract? are we going to allow free agents to be to be uh, registered after the end of march deadline these are, some of these things are easy some of them are really really complicated do we how much do we compromise next season to complete this season do we for example not relegate anyone this year and just promote people and then try and re, rejig the uh, leagues over the next year or two is that fairer than going null and void and saying sorry liverpool sorry leeds Sorry, Coventry, mm. et etc. Cetera, et cetera. So these are the these are the conversations that are underway right now. They have bought themselves some time with the with the, with the pause to April. I think that pause is going to undoubtedly be extended. Some of it, government, I, su- I suggest, government enforced, as the government starts to get around its head around what it wants to do with social distancing. But even if we're ready to to play behind closed doors, I think there are some issues around competitive integrity in terms of, okay, are we just going to treat ill players as injured players?
1: Mm.
2: Fine. Okay, That you could argue there's a rationale to that. But then there could be some massive unfairness issues around, let's say, a team who are ill now. As opposed to a team who get ill in April. The team that that's ill now. Will be ready to play. The team that's ill in April might not. How fair is that? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so these are these are these are the imponderables. These are the things that people have to be, I think, very careful about rushing to judgment. Now, I, I totally understand where Karen Brady's coming from. Not just because she's, uh, you know, she's looking at West Ham. She's thinking about my word. Are we going to have to ground share this summer? And oh, I really don't fancy relegation. She's she's looking at it from a very cold, calculating point of view. There is again a sort of logic to saying we can't finish this season. Fixture lists are only fair by definition when everybody has played all their games. Mm. Let's 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 scrap this season. Fine. What are you going to do? Are, you, are you going to, are you going to repay broadcasters? Are you going to repay are you going to re, repay sponsors? Have you thought about what that might do to the dozen clubs in the in the in the EFL who go from home game to home game? Uh, have you have you had that conversation with the players union
1: I mean uh, on, on that point though because <clears throat> it was something I wanted to, to, to touch on I mean you talk about the need for for certain clubs in the EFL going home game to home game need, needing that cash yeah. flow basically to stay afloat and we've seen you know whether it was Barry and Bolton last season whether it's Macclesfield for the past 18 months whether it's South End at the moment presumably these clubs will not survive if there is not even if the, if the season's canceled if there is a prolonged period, of, of no football without a bailout of sorts, whether that's the FA, whether that's the EFL, whether that's the government. I mean, has there been any talk of the contingency plans that are going to be put in place to ensure that when football reopens, it's you know it's not 91 clubs, it's it's 87, 86 clubs.
2: Those conversations are underway, but some of those issues are are so fraught with difficulty and complexity that we that those conversations will continue. For for some time, we're not going to get answers this week on what you do about the at least half a dozen dozen clubs. I'd, I'd I'd suggest that are effectively trading insolvently, that have unpaid tax bills, that haven't paid all their players, that that owe large sums of money, and are now looking at losing a third of their revenue. The further you go down the pyramid, the bigger the match they take matters so in the premier league it's about one seventh on average some of the big some of the clubs nearly all their money comes from broadcast if you go into the ch- the championship you've got parachute clubs where it's almost the same you know certainly let's say it, five six of their money could be could be broadcast money you start getting into the clubs without parachute payments and you get into league one and league two it's a third up to a half at some clubs wow. where the and it's not just it's not just the ticketing revenue it'll be the match they sponsors it'll be it'll be the food and beverage it will be um, uh, the the stuff they sell in the club shop because you know they, they don't have huge online operations there are massive knock on effects to the club's revenue streams and then of course we, we uh, I don't even I don't, where do we go with all the people that work on a, on a part-time basis at clubs so so the impact of going behind closed doors it, it, it is bad. The impact of not playing again until September—let's just say I don't know, August—if we—if we write the season off and start again, it, it is is enormous. I, I, you mentioned Southend. Like I'm gonna, you know, I don't. It's it's pretty well known that people that follow me know that I support Southend. Mm. So Southend owe the tax man about six hundred thousand pounds and counting. Um, they haven't paid all their players. they have five home games to play, and of those five home games, they've got some on a on a on a happier conversation on a happier day they've got Sunderland to come, they've got Bolton to come, they've got Portsmouth to come Big away got, followings. Yeah. yeah, absolutely absolutely they've got games where they would at least be breaking even. put it that way. Well, those are gone, and they and they they've suggested that it will cost them four hundred and fifty thousand pounds, upwards to more like seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds. If, and I think this is unlikely, season ticket holders start asking for their money back, or local sponsors start asking for their money back. I think this is the position. This is the position to answer your big question. All of the, everything, every possible solution. Everyone sharing the pain, everyone taking what they call a haircut in the city is is the only way out of this. So that means broadcasters not demanding, that means Sky and BT saying, look, we've been wonderful uh, friends over the last 20, 25 years, our companies have grown mutually. We are not going to enforce our contracts and say, EFL, Premier League, etc., you owe us some money back. Because if we do that, one, we're 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 souring relations going forward, but two. Who's going to be left standing? And I think that'll be the same with sponsors, kit manufacturers, and I think it will be the same with local suppliers. But they'll have their own headaches and pains as well. And and I, and I am, assu- I'm basing this all on the assumption that we can get back to normal pretty soon, an extended period. I mean, a really extended period of not normal. I'm sorry, half a dozen, ten a dozen clubs go they and, go
1: they they go and is there not a risk as well as, as clubs who maybe you don't bracket in that that clutch of clubs that are currently under threat but who if say re- football reopens in four five six months will therefore then be under that pressure and will therefore be the next ones to go I mean surely the whole you know the whole look of the, the financial landscape of the EFL which is already so precarious will just continue to get worse
2: well, absolutely. Well, th- th- here are some things that we, th- that we know. So last week, the Chancellor announced his budget and he announced £30 billion worth of sort of kind of coronavirus-related relief. And I think everyone knew, a bit like the two-week breathing space, that's the beginning. Mm. You know, that's, that, th- th- thanks very much. That, that reassure us for this week, there's going to be more needed. Now, in that, in that £30 billion package, were things like deferrals on tax bills... Massively helpful for lots of EFL clubs. So, so there's, so there's something. Another thing, an, an, another thing would be, I think he's talked about government-backed loans uh, to solvent businesses, solvent businesses, businesses that would otherwise be absolutely fine but going to have cash flow issues. I think, I think some of our football clubs will will be very much thinking about how they can get their applications in for that. That 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 could be a million. Then there's things like. Okay what what reserves have the EFL got the EFL have got some reserves not 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 much because they dish most of it out to the clubs they haven't revealed the number but just to give you a bit of a hint and a clue the Scottish the SPFL have already said guys we haven't got a rainy day fund because we hand it out already mm. we we just pass it on so we've got we've had we've had a message from north of the border where they have a similar ratio you know third match day revenue and they have a similar issue outside of Celtic Rangers, of clubs who kind of, you know, a hand-to-mouth-ish type existence. So I don't know how much is in the rainy day fund. Now, Premier League clubs, on the other hand, if you put all their bank accounts together, have about a billion and a bit in cash in their accounts. And well, that's how they operate. That's how they buy players. That's how they sort of settle bills. You know, could could the Premier League at this time of need do something truly wonderful and nice and remarkable maybe could the fa the fa haven't got much but but maybe we're in that sort of territory but but, but if 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 there are if there are fans you thinking there's going to be endless handouts and dishouts before i came on this morning i listened to a radio phone in where someone from the restaurant and pub business pointed out that uh, they make up, I think, 5% of national GDP. They're the 10th largest employer as a sector. And she thought they could go four to six weeks without, without being open. Four to six weeks. And then thousands of businesses, hundreds of businesses, thousands of jobs start to go. At the weekend, I saw something from the airline industry saying, we need 7.5 billion. 7.5 billion.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There's going to be a queue. Where do you think policymakers are going to put football which has a perception wrongly we know about our clubs but wrongly of being a wash in money
1: certainly sobering stuff Matt I'm, I'm here I'm, I'm here I'm here absolutely <laughs> devastated I mean but you know fingers crossed as you say that you know maybe whether it's the Premier League whether it's the broadcasters you know there'll be a few favours hopefully going around to save um uh, some EFL clubs and, and your south end included uh, going forward, yeah. I mean, can could, could we expect to see some more articles in, uh, in the coming weeks about about this this uh, situation from yourself? Lots. Okay.
2: Look, you know, it's a lot of my colleagues, you know, guys like yourself that that report games. I mean, I I I, I have enormous sympathy. Um, you know, I, I I do bad news. <laughs> I'm the grim reaper, <laughs> so I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy. And look, there are so look, there are so many things for me to go at anyway, just around governance. You know, things that we should still be annoyed about. But you know, Ber- Berry went bust, right? That, that had nothing to do with the coronavirus. Bolton right. Bolton Bolton nearly went bust. The EFL bent over backwards to keep them alive. Very probably bent its own rule book to keep them alive. Mm. We almost lost two this season. So there's enough for me and people like me to go at, to, to, to make our, our industry, our clubs, more robust, hopefully to make the industry fairer, but certainly to make our clubs more robust. No one saw this coming. I don't think anyone sitting here today can really see how May and June is going to look. But we can, I think, hopefully make our clubs more robust by making the governance better, by making the financial distribution fairer, I think just be making things I think that really comes across to me around coronavirus is just this we're all, we're all so annoyed about things we don't know and this sort of sense that we're, we're, people aren't being straight with us. Where's the transparency? Where's the transparency with what the government are doing with social distancing? Where's you know, what, what can I do? What, what's my school telling me? What's my company telling me? I think fans, football fans feel that. At the best of times, particularly if you're if you're quote crisis club, if you follow one of those, you you, you just feel you're not being told what's going on, and, and and I think I think you know football journalists, if you if you're short sure of something to do over the next few weeks, and and, and you know, you've been through your greatest goals compilation and your favourite book and all that sort of stuff, and, you, and your your terrorist hero, all good stuff. We're all going to need cheering up. All of us are going to need cheering up, but I'd be I'd be turning your attention to how's my club run. Is it well run? What do the books look like? How, what, does it have a rainy day fund? Yeah. What, how's the how's the EFL? What what what's the EFL thinking for the next crisis that comes along? Those are, I think those are the issues. That, if we learn anything, if there's any positives to come from this, and I'm sure there will be, I'm absolutely sure there will be, because like I said at, at the beginning, we're, we're a resilient, resourceful bunch. We, we, we've got over worse, and we'll get over this. But let's let's learn something. That's what I you know that's what I'm. That's, what I'm going to that's what's getting me up that's what's getting me <laughs> dressed and brushing my teeth let's see if we can learn something
1: Thanks very much for joining us Matt uh, insightful uh, as ever and yeah, I recommend everyone reads uh, keeps up to date with Matt's stuff on The Athletic which will keep us abreast of what's going on in this very fast developing story so cheers Matt
2: No problem at all, chin up everybody
1: Just a reminder off the back of that illuminating,
0: sobering I guess in many ways interview with Matt Slater, he writes for The Athletic We Are Partnered With The Athletic, throughout this season, uh, The Athletic brings you the best stable of football writers in one place across the globe. Uh, If you haven't subscribed and you'd like to give it a go, it's 50% off if you go to www.theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Plenty of good stuff on there about the current situation but also plenty to take your mind off it if you would prefer that's theathletic.co.uk forward slash ntt20 Next up, George spoke to the vice chairman of Oxford United, Zaki Nuzebe. He talks us through things from a club perspective with so many fears for so many clubs about how they will cope with the current situation surrounding football
1: and the coronavirus. So Zaki, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, Kind of first and foremost, I guess, just since, uh, you know, EFL well, all football uh, in England was cancelled on Friday um, what have the last kind of four days been like as someone involved at you know boardroom at boredom level at a EFL club
3: yeah it's obviously crazy but um, it's it kind of put things in perspective um, you know we, we tend to get on with our lives and uh, forget that uh, when things like that happen when one-off events happen it can change everything and um, um, health is obviously the most important thing and uh, it made people take a step back from their daily lives and um, no one really knows what's going to happen because it's unprecedented. So it, it's having to deal with the events, you know, day by day, even hour by hour. And that's, uh, what, that's what we're having to do at the moment.
1: Um, what have you done in terms of the football club in, in the last few days? I've seen today, of course, that you know the offices are closed, the training ground is closed as well. I mean, these must be pretty easy decisions to be making.
3: Yeah, we're we're, we're taking the right precautions as any business would. Um, we're obviously constantly in touch um, with each other remotely when we when we can. Um, heads of departments are in touch regularly. Um, players, um, as as you've seen publicly, they've been told not to come to the training ground. The training ground is closed. There's going to be all sorts of procedures about deep cleansing and that sort of thing taking place. Um, and obviously, constantly engaged with the with the EFL and other bodies to see what's next. Really,
1: uh, from the kind of very basic level, how as, as someone who you know has seen how football clubs work, has seen how important kind of match day revenue and cash flow can be uh, to clubs, both you know maybe more secure than, than Oxford United, and also those and there are plenty of them who you know are in pretty perilous financial positions. So, how worried are you about the future of Oxford United as a football club, and how worried are you? about the future of of EFL clubs in general on the back of this?
3: Uh, As I I said, I think the next few days, weeks and months are critical and they could only be addressed if um, everyone comes together. This is not only a football matter, it's not even a national level, it's an international Mm. kind of challenge that everyone needs Mm. to come together to try and address um, um, collectively. as a club, we are blessed to have strong shareholders, and um, we've been prudent in the way we we run the club. So um, we're confident we're going to be okay. But this is bigger than Oxford United, and we're part of a league, and that league is part of a um, um, uh, and, and, and sort of an entire hierarchy that will need um, um, some form of financial support and without that um i'm afraid it's it's going to get very very messy um you know i say this in this industry but i obviously work in other industries and other industries are also going to be having similar issues and people are going to be fighting for bailouts and financial um, 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 support from uh, government bodies and other bodies so it really is unprecedented Um, I would would, uh, just say to the fans of Oxford United that we are okay but that's not where the problem is and uh, that's not what we should only care about and we need to all collectively come together to make sure everyone is okay.
1: Have you been in conversation, have you heard from the EFL or or the FA or even any government representatives about the the situation? Uh,
3: There's there's nothing specific to give out, we're Mm -hmm. obviously constantly in touch with them as a club Um, there's been a communication by the EFL today. I'm sure you've seen yeah. the statement. There's going to be further meetings this week, um, and maybe we'll get more colour um, as to as to what next. Then, um, so yeah, uh, everyone is in touch, but almost everyone equally is not um, in a position to to give any comments because the possibilities are um, so many, and uh, and uh, there's almost no point in speculating at at an, at a stage when we don't know what's next. So um, no, nothing really to report on that front.
1: There's no doubt that the long-term future of EFL clubs is of course the most important thing uh, on the back of this crisis, and we can call it a crisis. But in terms of the on-pitch stuff, which whilst not being the most important thing is still obviously fairly crucial when it comes to football. Uh, I saw your tweets yesterday uh, in disagreement with Karen Brady's suggestion that the season should be made null and, and void. Uh, what, what do you see as being the most likely uh, situation in terms of how they're going to complete the season? What, what do you think would be the fairest way to do so?
3: Yeah, and, you know, my tweet and my, my comment isn't necessarily to, to, to criticise her, but it's more to say, you know, this surely has to be our last option. Mm. So much hard work has gone in. You know, whether it's our club or other clubs, I mean, you look at Liverpool and you look at, you, you look at uh, people fighting for promotion and to just just to say it's not on board is a bit, it's kind of the very last option from, from my perspective. Um, I think I think if, and it's a big if because we just don't know how long this is going to take, if it is possible to finish the season, that has to be the priority. Um, and I would, I would personally say, I'd rather sacrifice um, um, certain things or competitions or, or even the length of next season rather than this season because ultimately we've started the season. A huge amount of it has been covered already, and um, it, it only makes sense to try and work towards um, closing that season. Whether that means we extend it much more, whether it means even we go even even further than the summer, but. Um, uh, I'd, I'd I'd rather see this happening rather than um, rather than uh, just say it's null and void or or just to make uh, although it might work very nicely for Oxford United <laughs> to just say you know the top three go up or anything like that but uh, I, I think that would be unfair. Hopefully. So um, I, I think the priority has to try and finish the season somehow.
1: I, mean, I and I'm sure as well that even before the the news on Friday, most EFL clubs would be in conversations with their manager, with with the playing staff, with the chairman, all in terms of contract renewals, transfer targets. Given that, you know, as we've probably seen in terms of the situation at Bury last season, whilst there might be football logic, at the end of the day, these clubs are businesses and these contracts are legal contracts. So what is going to happen, say, if the season resumes and we've got games in June, but players, key players, contracts expire, loans expire, Is there any methods of fairly uh, getting around these kind of legal entities, I guess, to ensure that there is a fair, um, you know, the the league is played out in a fair manner?
3: I mean, there there, there clearly isn't an answer today, but that is a there is a legal question there. And, um, you know, all sorts of um, uh, people would be trying to think what the what the legal options are. you know, the difference between this and and, and the Boris situation or any previous situation is that this is everybody. Mm. So everybody's going to have to come together and and, and find a reasonable solution. But as I said, I think even the legal approach to this will have to come with some form of support um, from a a higher um, authority, whether that's the EFL or even government. So there's got to be um, high-level... Um, rules that can uh, that can uh, um, help find a solution um, that 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 works for the vast majority of clubs um will there be victims I I guess there would be this is beyond the crisis and uh, the damage can only be assessed afterwards but um, uh, you know we're not going to be the only ones facing uh, um, legal challenges um, or at least looking at situations where we need to think about how contracts work um, we're not the only club we're not the only industry so um, and, and i think the, the only way for that to be dealt with um, is, um, is is with the support and um, almost the, uh, the 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 um, the the higher bodies imposing um, um, certain solutions with consulting uh, um, procedures with with the various clubs so It really is not an easy answer, Um, Mm. but um, as as I said, we're we're not the only ones, we're not the only league, we're not the only industry. And I think that almost means everyone has to find the solution. Most people have the common problem, so we've we've got to resolve it together. And that has to be the approach. Uh,
1: I mean, it's certainly a waiting game for us fans and and people working in the sport to see what's going to happen. It sounds as if at the moment it's, it's a waiting game. Um, for people involved at clubs as well to see how it's going to play out. But I mean, what if any advice you had to you know fans of Oxford United or fans fans of other sides in terms of how they can you know not necessarily help, but just just how they should be approaching this uh, and anything that you know what would be your advice to to people um, who are maybe a little bit concerned that the kind of whole landscape of the of the game in England's about to change? Yeah, I think. I-
3: I think I start off with our own fans. I think they should be reassured that, um, ha- having been prudent about the way we run our business, um, that that puts us in a strong position. Luckily, we uh, we have strong shareholders who will hopefully be able to support um, the club going forward. Um, and uh, and uh, and and these are very very difficult times, which means that there will be significant um, cash flow issues for. Um, a lot of clubs out there, and and uh, and and, you know, people have to take it step by step. We're not going to find a solution overnight. Um, th- 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 this virus, and it's not so much the virus; it's the, it's the impact, the economic impact of um, of it on, um, on 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 this industry, particularly, but also many many other industries, um, is 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 so unknown at this stage. There's almost no point in trying to uh predict uh the future or probably try to predict a uh, a a restart date or or speculate on the possibilities um I, one thing for me that should be reassuring to fans is, is that uh it's such a big problem that's out of um specific clubs hands that uh, the government and other bodies will have to help us out will have to bail that industry out one way or another how and when and uh, in what way that's got to be determined. But um, uh, you know, football and uh, and 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 how it brings communities together is such a fundamental part of our our lives. And um, I'm sure we'll all work very hard to protect that and uh, to try and go back to um, to the days pre coronavirus.
1: <laughs> Fingers crossed; those days come very very quickly for both footballing and non-footballing reasons. Thanks very much as well for taking the time to speak to us, Zaki. And fingers crossed next time we do talk, it'll be about football and not what's going on off the pitch.
3: I hope so. No problem, George. And all the best and uh, wash your hands and stay safe.
1: (laughs) Good message. Cheers, Zaki.
0: Phil Corklin joins us. Uh, Phil runs Momentum Sports Management, uh, which is a company that represents a lot of players across the EFL. Uh, Phil, we'd like from you really to understand what your clients, the footballers, are feeling at the moment and what the future holds and where your concerns are as someone who's got their best interests and and someone who's looking after the best interests of your players. Um, First of all, across the players who I'm sure you're talking to uh, as we go, constantly trying to stay in contact, where where are your players at? What are they feeling at the moment and what are they doing?
4: Um, well, I think it's it's something that's really up in the air at the moment. I think um, from I went to about seven games in twelve days in the last two weeks, so I kind of got my my football fix in before all of this kind of came to a, a grinding halt. Um, but it was very strange because up until say the Liverpool Atletico Madrid game last week, everyone kind of knew that these games were going to stop um, and behind closed doors games couldn't really continue. Um, and I think. Clubs kind of were all caught on the hop, really. I think with Mikel Arteta's um, positive um, test um, mm-hmm. that that kind of brought halt to everything, really, um, for the weekend. And um, I think from then, clubs are—I wouldn't say making up as they go along, but they're—they're they're very much trying to work things out themselves, just mm-hmm. like the whole country is and the government is. Um, and I think that players are. Some players were given the weekend off and came back in today. Some boys were given off until Wednesday. Others have been told to um, stay off until kind of Monday next week, um, and I think it's it's something that no one really knows. Um, and there'll be <laughs> there'll be clubs that have had cases um, where they've had positive tests, so those boys have been told to stay away. Mm. Um, and then you've got say Chelsea, where apparently like the whole club was self isolating from a you know the, the men's senior teams and things like that. Um, but then in other clubs, there have been some positive tests where the boys have been, just been told to stay away, but the other lads can continue to train. Um, so it's, it's it's a really. It, I've never ever known anything like it because when you have time off in the summer, um, or players have time off, the season finishes, they go on holiday, they get up to whatever they get up to, and then they go, right, I've had two weeks off. I'm going to hit training now. I'm going to make sure that I do my pre pre season so I'm ready for my pre season. Hmm. And there's a thing called periodisation, which is say um, you train over periods of time and you have different intensity loads to make sure that you're ready for pre-season, beginning of the season, you then might not train as hard because you're playing lots of games during the season and then it's just about keeping yourself ticking over because as the games come thick and fast towards the end of the season, um, the boys are getting as much fitness as they need from the games. Um, So I think for the boys' heads, it's really strange because they can't really do too much on their own. Um, But then my worry mainly is that then everyone might go, right, actually, we're all sorted, right, we've got games in two weeks um, get the boys in, they smash them with the fitness, they go and play games and you can't replicate those type of situations where you're not doing a lot, you're doing a lot, then you've got to go and play games so I'm worried about the, the fitness side and the injury side, especially when it's kind of, it's coming to the end of the season, the contracts are ending on the 30th of June, boys might be out of contract so there's just so many different little aspects that that kind of come into it um, that I'm sure everyone's talking about, thinking about but when it's actually someone's career and it's their job and it's where they earn their money from and how they pay their mortgage, there's a hell of a lot more um, riding on it than just we need to get football back because we're all bored and we want to watch something on the telly.
0: Yeah, and I suppose in your role, there are... Uh, players your clients turning to you really for information for reassurance to some extent and what are the key uh, areas that you've been trying to find out about on behalf of your clients just I know it's only been a few days but I guess what are your main concerns not necessarily just in terms of what you spoke about with uh, training and with match fitness and things like that but just I guess in a more legal sense and and when it comes to their contracts etc
4: I'd say there's, there's two massively conflicting things. And I always think, oh, this is my opinion. But then you think the other side of it and you think that completely conflicts with what you're talking about. So for me, there's two things I do not. I honestly cannot envisage. Um, and and um, Greg Dykes talked about this today um, in The Times, I think it was. I can't envisage how the season cannot finish legally because there's so many things that ride upon a season not completing. You can't say Leeds and West Brom get promoted. Well done. There's going to be no relegation. These teams will just kind of front load these these leagues and no one goes down. There's so many things that come into it in terms of um, bonuses. Um, there's lots of stuff with the TV rights and if they don't complete seasons. Um, there's teams that, you know, Aston Villa weren't in the playoffs this time last year. or I think they might have just got in the playoffs this time last year. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's a quarter of the season left. So for me, legally, there's a massive thing in terms of voiding the season and just going, well, this is where we're at now, so we're just going to promote everyone because I don't see... That's just not in the... We're quite ethical, I think, as a, as a football nation in terms of the leagues and I think you can't just make... You just can't tweak it and change it. Yeah. Um, so I think, for me, the season has to finish before anything else goes on and mm-hmm. I think everyone's such in a rush to kind of go, oh, next season, we'll just start that in the same place and we'll just avoid this one. For me, it doesn't matter when next season starts because at the minute, we don't even have a football season. So mm. for me... Kind of calm everything down, get everyone back, change the, the dates of the transfer window, change the dates of next season, and just get this season finished and kind of start from square one again. Um so that's kind of my what my head says on yeah. one side of it. Yeah. But then the complete conflicting point is what on earth do you do with players' contracts? Because they finish on the 30th of June. That's just everyone finishes their contract year end. It goes from 1st of July to 30th of June. Yeah. So if you then go right actually we're extending the season till september um, and we're going to play a month and a half of, of football we'll get all these games finished from a spectator point of view it's probably the best thing ever because it's like a mini tournament of like 10 games and it would be from a from a tv point of view it would get unbelievable viewing and i think everyone would buy into it massively um, so you could have a mini pre-season and then get these games done but from a contractual point of view what on earth do you do? Because they're legal mm. documents. So these legal documents kind of, I would imagine, supersede anything from a football regulatory point of view. So they yeah. they are an employment contract that finishes on the 30th of June. So if you don't have, if you're not contracted to your club beyond that point, then they need to then re-engage the players. They can't, you know, my, a player might go, well, actually, no, I'm my next season starts on the 1st of July from my contract point of view. But you're now saying that this season needs to finish. So there's an overlap of do, do do the clubs do the leagues kind of say right? There's a three-month overlap yeah. um, in terms of right. Everyone's just extending their contracts for three months on the same terms that what you've you've previously been on. Well, that's we the We get the season yeah. finish.
0: Yeah, I've I've read today that clubs expect to be given the green light to offer players that are coming towards the end of their contracts new temporary deals if the league season is extended past that deadline. In in my very simplistic brain, if you just said because of the circumstances that's allowed to happen on the same terms as the current contract? Because it feels to me like if you were to start negotiating for these temporary contracts, things could get pretty ugly quite quickly, both in terms of from the perspective that uh, you and and other people in your industry might come at it from, uh, but also the clubs who might try and uh, get rid of certain players or release the wages of. Would it be, do you think, fair to, to just do it on the same terms? Or from your perspective, would that be... Actually, no. Hold on. That, that's we can't just blanket accept that for everyone.
4: I think that you you made a great point. So it's everyone always looks at the, the 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 top level, the top line, how much money everyone's earning. Agents try and overcharge everyone and try and kind of take advantage of situations, which sometimes does happen. But I think you made a great point that the flip side is clubs could also see it as an advantageous situation to go. Actually, we're going to keep our main core of 18 players. And bin the rest off, and say actually we don't want you, so we're not going to pay you all your wages. Mm. And I think all of a sudden that becomes a, a situation where this current season continues for three months. Boys that are out of contract get released, um, and therefore they can't get a new club because the previous season is still continuing. There's too much. There's just too too much kind of um, uncertainty. And I think if they are going to continue the season, for me the fairest way is just to say everyone that's on a contract now their contract is extended for three months yeah. and the season continues and once that season finishes then the transfer window opens up and all of that stuff so I think yeah. it's I think you made a great point it's just it can't everyone needs to be very realistic about this and it's a situation that's never happened before um, but you know football clubs need fans in terms of you know uh, match day income football clubs need players in terms of playing games to to actually succeed, or um, you know, actually play games for them, yeah. um, players need the clubs because without clubs, players don't have anywhere to play. Um, there's so many different things that I think. Hopefully, UEFA and FIFA get together and say, "Right, this is when the transfer window will be. This is when everyone's seasons will start and finish." And I know there's a big issue because coronavirus um, has started and, and is in different peaks in term in different countries, so it's mm. it's further established in. In Italy or China than it is here so Italy's season could start earlier than England's because Italy might hopefully be through that um you know the the worst of it and they could get their season started in in that case
0: in that case from your perspective uh, you know this is a hypothetical but would you be looking towards let's say Italy if it started its league a bit earlier and and sort of trying to find ways of of finding a space for your client there if 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 England is, is well behind or is that just unrealistic?
4: Well, in terms of moving my clients to Italy, yeah. um, I don't know. I think, I th- for me at the minute, it's so up in the air in yeah. terms of, you know, we, we were having meetings with clubs up until last week in terms of planning for the summer. Um, we've got players out of contract that are in huge demand from clubs. So we're speaking to people and finding out, you know, who's looking for what and, and what kind of ideas they're going to look at recruitment-wise for the summer. Um, all of a sudden, the games all get called off on the weekend and you go, hang on a minute, like, Clubs can't even plan beyond um, next week or the week after. If they don't even know when the boys are going to be in for training, there's no way they can look at recruitment. So it's it's, it's probably the most bizarre situation I've ever been in. Um, and and I think if everyone just has to be really realistic and fair yeah. and not you know especially from a club perspective where we've had things in the press over the weekend where people are talking about different opinions on why the season should be voided or why it should carry on. And, and everyone's got their own personal opinion as to why it might benefit them. But mm. I think everyone signs up to the charter as to what happens when you play a season. You either get promoted, get relegated or stay as you are. And I think for, for, for the English Football League and the Premier League to um, kind of retain their uh, moral compass, it just has to stay like that. It has to, for me, the season has to finish um, And and... It has to finish in its entirety, really.
0: At the beginning of our conversation, Phil, you spoke about the, your one of your concerns being towards the, the physical health and fitness of the players, if and when... Uh, they are back and being asked to play games, potentially being asked to play a lot of football in in a quick succession, having been um, rather out of the loop, so to speak. Uh, But this is also a very uncertain time. As you said, a bizarre situation, maybe the most bizarre we've had. I dare say that for a lot of uh, young footballers, the the sorts of of players that you represent, uh, this could be quite an uncertain time as well in in terms of their mental health. Uh, Is that something that, you yourself have a responsibility of care with is how does it work or how, how how do you think it would work out if you felt like one of your players was finding this very difficult you know a regime change which can be really tough for, for anyone in any industry but especially for some of these guys who will only know really um being a professional footballer what's in place for them in terms of sort of emotional care i suppose where does the where does the help come from where does who, who takes the burden there
4: I think that some clubs have their own sports um, psychologist that works within the club. Some players like speaking to them um, because they feel it's part of the the furniture and it's someone they can kind of visit in their routine. Um, But as you say, the routine isn't there anymore. They might not be going into the club at the same time or might not be going into the club at all. Um, So I think it's it's making sure they speak to their families, make sure they speak to their friends, they share their opinions and their feelings in terms of how they feel right now because as you say it's something that no one's ever really come across again um come across before um but i think from a an agent perspective it's something that we're massively um attuned with we we, we have a mind coach and a sports psychologist that we work with that works on a one-to-one basis with some of our clients um away from this situation just from a mm. match-by-match or month-by-month basis in terms of them talking about maybe injuries they've suffered um psychological effects of Feeling like they can't trust their body, or you know they might be on a hot streak, and how can they continue that hot streak? Or they're out of contract at the end of the season. How do they not let that allow that to to, to affect their performance on a week by week basis? So it's something that that we hugely um, we hold very high to um, the values that we we have as an agency. Um, and my business partner Brian Howard um, is next player himself, and he's he's played for quite a few clubs and had. Quite a lot of experiences from from that regard as well. So I kind of always look to him to say, "Well, how did you, how did you find this experience when you got injured, or when you scored this goal, or and when you moved clubs? How did you find that that changed your your routine? It might be from when you when someone moves, like you say, some lads will only ever experience the being a professional footballer, so they might have grown up living with their family, come through a youth academy, got a, a big move when they're young, so they might move to the other side of the country." They might move on their own so their only contact time with people is being in the football club on a daily basis have a banter with the lads they might go out for a nando's or a costa or whatever um, after training and that's their routine Um, take away football and they're on the other side of the country Mm. living on their own and not having a lot of contact time with people Mm. and you know especially if we have to self-isolate there might be boys that live here that their families are in Spain and they're not allowed to travel so it's there's, there's so many different things that I think, you know, when you're watching Sky Sports News and BBC News and all of that and everyone's talking about what happens if the football fixtures don't finish, like you say, there's so many different things that come down to um, all the different experiences of individuals. And, and I don't want it to sound like um, it's the be-all and end-all about football, but it's more just about people. It's about, mm. you know, people that work for Virgin Airlines. And, um, that you know, there's a story today saying that they... The, the the staff of Virgin Airlines are going to be asked to take eight weeks unpaid leave um, within the next three months. So there's there's so many different things that are affecting the whole country. Um, but I think there's football seems to be the thing that everyone talks about. It's the yeah. the thing that kind of keeps everyone together. You go to the gym and you hear everyone talking in the changing rooms, or you go and pick the kids up from school, and everyone's talking about well, what happens if the season doesn't finish? Will Liverpool just win the league, or you know, will West Ham or Aston Villa go down, or? Leeds and West Brom get promoted. It's just kind of the thing that keeps everyone ticking over. and mm. It's a massive escape from normality and routine that I think scares everyone or frightens everyone yeah. quite a bit.
0: But it's also uh, a place or an industry of huge employment for people across the country as well. So uh, as, as much as it is an escape for fans, it's also the, the, the working reality, the employment reality of so many people. So uh, it's great to hear uh, your thoughts, Phil. Thank you so much for Talking us through, really, um, where, where you're at with the players that you manage, what your concerns are and, and what their situation is, uh, as well as your role as uh, Momentum Sports Management uh, co-founder, uh, you've also done a, a podcast which... I need to just recommend because there's a lot of listeners who are looking for a lot of content at the moment. Uh, and a podcast that you did last year called Transfers Uncovered with great friend of the pod, Cy si Watts, um, uh, was a fantastic insight into the work that you do as a football agent. Um, very EFL focused as well, and, and so many parts to that that. Uh, Everyone will find interesting loads of stuff that people won't have even considered when thinking about this topic. So, transfers uncovered is uh, where to hear more from you. And also, today, um, you've been well, you've been lucky enough, kind enough I'm not really sure which way of looking (laughs) at it, but the Training Ground Guru, which is a website that we like a lot, they've actually turned a dissertation that you wrote for your master's in sports directorship, which you've just passed uh, with flying colors. Uh, Your dissertation is available to read online as of today. Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
4: Yes, yeah, so um, it, it was the hurdles that um, BAME, which is Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic um, participants in football, um, hurdles that they encounter from making the transition from playing to coaching and management. Um, and uh, it was a sixteen, circa 16,000-word 16, dissertation I did for my um, Master's in Sport Directorship at Manchester Met University. Um I somehow, um, which I found very, very difficult, but I somehow condensed into about two and a half, three thousand words for um, for Simon Austin um, mm-hmm. at the um, training ground guru. And um, it was just, it, it's a massive, I'm, I'm Jewish and I'm white. And um, sometimes people go, well, why on earth are you interested in um, BAME participants in football? But for me, um, being Jewish, I am a, an ethnic minority to a, to a certain degree. And um, I've just always been interested in ethnic minority um participation in sport, especially Mm -hmm. football. And uh, I did a dissertation 13 years ago about racial stacking and the centrality theory at my previous university. And that was about um, basically opportunities and stereotypes that black, um, mixed race and white footballers get put in in terms of what positions they're picked in. Um, And certain coaches might have a a racial stereotype based on where they believe a player should play just on what they look like. Um, And that's carried through to the dissertation I've just done now—it's just the um, the opportunities that 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 when players come to a point where they want to retire and coach and manage—it's um, quite a it's quite a hot topic, really, in the fact that there's only um, I think it's six managers out of ninety-one that that are non-white from a BAME um, background. Hmm. So there's there's a huge there's a huge gulf in terms of um, twenty-five to thirty percent of players um, then only become six percent of managers within um, the, the the top professional leagues in this country. Um and it's just something that I've always had a huge interest in. Um, and I think that there needs to be a lot of change from the the top down. So in terms of the, the people that the governing bodies that run football in this country. Um there's a huge lack of um BAME participants, but it's not only in football, it's in society and, and in the article I talk about FTSE one hundred companies as well and the the lack of um inclusion at, at the top level there on on board so it's it's something that hopefully people find interesting there's yeah. been a lot of positive comments um but i think um there's always some people that will try and argue that um it doesn't really exist but the i've tried to put a lot of theory and statistics behind it to to kind of back up my reasoning as well it's
0: um, a a really important read yeah. obviously something that you put a lot of hard work into uh, for your masters but i think certainly something that i would ask anyone listening to go and read we've shared it on our twitter page at ntt20pod so that might be the quickest way of finding it it's on the training ground guru website well phil corklin thank you so much for joining us it is uh, not been the most fun podcast that we've ever uh, recorded but we've been so grateful for your perspective and uh, for your i suppose your insight into the current situation so thank you very much for joining us thank you very much indeed it's a tough one uh, to say goodbye here george because off the back of those three interviews i feel both uh, very happy that we've got those guys on the podcast to to give their insight uh, but it's hard to feel too happy after the chats that we've had i think both of us have found it quite full-on really not that they got anything wrong there but more about what they were saying and what it means for the future of of our game and, and of the efl
1: Yeah, there certainly wasn't much of a um, message of don't worry, it's all going to be okay there, which is probably what we all hope for. Um, But at the same time, I guess some positivity. I think basically the world itself and the world of football is going to look very different um, when this has all come to an end. And fingers crossed when we get there, it's all going to be a bit better. But excited about things we're going to be doing In the next few weeks, it provides us an opportunity to maybe look at doing a few more unique things. I know that you're very excited to have loaded up your old friend Football Manager again.
0: Well, I mean, I think this is the first year in about 15, maybe 20 years where I haven't really got stuck into uh, at least one long-term Football Manager save. Uh, And it's nothing to do with the game, which remains absolutely excellent and one of my favourite things in the whole world. But just because of... Well, the, the, the luck that we've had, I suppose, in getting a bit more work. Now, with, I would suggest, two or three of our main bits of work, certainly the broadcast work, having been suspend, suspended for the foreseeable, yes, there's an issue with <laughs> revenue, but no issue with time. And the one thing that Football Manager thrives with is time to play. So um, with the help of our Twitter followers, who seemed surprisingly excited about us playing Football Manager and telling them about it, that's very encouraging for someone with a lot of time on his hands and a a penchant for for that wonderful (laughs) game. So um, I've taken over Bolton Wanderers. Uh, It's obviously quite the challenge given that we start with a minus 12 point deduction. Uh, Of course, I'm exceptionally confident of survival this season. Uh, I'm not going to set my sights much higher than that because, for me, this is a long-term vision for the club. I want to take it back to its former glory. We're going to be doing things the right way. Clearly, I don't want uh, these virtual Bolton fans to ever go through what they've been through in real life. So I'll be running the club prudently uh, with uh, financial prudence in mind. Uh, I will be uh, clearly trying to bring through some of the talented youngsters at the club. I haven't really got going yet because I stood there... We sat there rather for about 10 minutes when I first loaded it up, trying quite hard to get past the fact that Jason Lowe has an 8,000 pound a week contract, which I could really do without, to be honest. So I have to decide (laughs) first and foremost whether Jason Lowe has to be cast aside or whether he needs to be a key part of my uh, of my survival this season but yeah follow us on twitter at ntt20pod uh, i'm not quite sure how it's going to look with the updates whether they'll be written whether i'll do videos or or how to do that so let me know how you like to consume your football manager content um, but we've got plenty of other stuff that we want to get through as well as mentioned and hopefully you guys understand uh, we've got some uh, important stuff to sort out just in terms of continuing to get some work where some of it has been suspended. So I'm afraid there's no absolute guarantees at this stage, other than we will continue to do the podcast. It will be entertaining. It will be fun. And we hope that you'll keep enjoying listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast during this bizarre time. And thank you for tuning in today. We'll talk again soon.